Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. We are going to be probably making now some pretty assertive assumptions about European players, European teams over the course of the next, I don't know, hour, little less, something like that. Just just so you're aware, there are going to be some bold, bold assumptions being made about some of these players and teams. Just wanted to preface that, but welcome back to the pod. Happy Monday. Happy Monday, Rian. Happy Monday, Elias. Um, happy Garfield Day. Happy. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I, I mean, yeah. Who doesn't hate Mondays? I guess. But <laughs> like, honestly, um, speaking of though, I haven't thought about Garfield in a very long time until you just I brought know. him up. <laughs> I know. That's weird. That was, um, <laughs> the I don't know why, why I'm caught on that now. Well, no, it's like the reason why I thought of it today is because I was texting actually one of my clients about this, and I started off my text with like "Happy Monday." And then in parentheses, but also, but like screw Mondays too, because no one really likes that. And it like reminded me of Garfield in that process. So here we are. And now I kind of just want lasagna for dinner. <laughs> oh, I, so I have not had lasagna in a very long while. Yeah, right. No, like, it's just like, it's yeah. not something that you always make for yourself. But Yeah, it's, it's like more involved than like, I mean, it I find myself being almost exclusively making pasta. Like, um <laughs> because it's just so easy to make it for like multiple days and all that stuff True. and so whatever but lasagna is like a more involved because yeah. there's the layers yeah. and then all the other shit you can throw but it's so it. much better it's, it is oh my god it tastes it's infinitely better yeah yeah i actually yeah. have ground beef in my fridge i might uh but i don't have any of the layers of the exactly the, ah, damn i don't even have the cheese yeah no that's one pot, one pan pasta, or one pot pasta, whatever you want to call it, is probably the way to go at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But props to Garfield for for loving that shit, dude. He was he um, was ahead of his time. Yeah, Dan. Those <laughs> do you do you remember ever watching the movies, the uh, live action movies? Oh, the, so the live action ones, I don't know. Oh no, the live action ones with um, what's what's Bill Murray. Face? I think it's Bill yes, Murray who, yes, who's the yes. voice actor. Yes. No, Bill Murray is the voice actor, but I'm trying to think of the the actor and the actress that were in the... I, I forget, but I know exactly oh. what you're talking about because those were my favorite movies as a kid. Like, I loved <laughs> those movies. The one where he went to, like, England, too, was just iconic. Oh, wow. Yeah, real nostalgia there because I had that... I had the first <laughs> one on DVD, and that was... Yeah! That was for, like, a month, one of my favorite movies to rewatch, so... Yeah, true. Wow, we really... Wow. Really went back in time. Bless up, Bill Murray. Huh? He's not <laughs> dead. He's not dead, by the way. <laughs> just, just. <laughs> we're just, we're just saying that we really appreciate the work. <laughs> it's okay, but anyway, welcome back to the podcast where we talk about Garfield and soccer, two main themes that are most important, apparently, in uh, <laughs> in this, I guess, life that we live. But, yeah. Rian, how was your? How was your weekend? What'd you get up to? I know, I know you watched a ton of football and I tried to do the same. Yeah. I watched, watched some soccer, went, um, had a little like shindig for one of, for a friend's birthday, half birthday, uh, an, an excuse to drink basically. Um, <laughs> TLDR, so, so, alcoholic. well, I mean, it wasn't my, I didn't plan the thing. So <laughs> I just showed up, um, but no, it was a good weekend, though, overall, until Sunday, where it's like Sunday was just very, very gloomy um, outside. And um, and even Ellie's had a terrible Sunday for oh yeah. <laughs> for different reasons, just kind of mutilating himself by accident, <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, mutilating is definitely one way to put it for for those that cannot obviously see me on Zoom right now as we record this, I Long story short, accidentally stabbed myself with a knife. Um, pretty deep gash on my left hand. Got some stitches. Running into urgent care, I'm telling you, in a hurricane is not, wouldn't recommend. It's not up there on my list of things to redo in life. So it's uh, not really usable. Just kind of flopping. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a lot more reason for me particularly and then other people to be stuck inside and and still find some fun during the day which 
was for me obviously watching the Chelsea Arsenal game Elias I'm so I and like I just before you even say anything I was at urgent care during the first half of this game I want to stress to you how fun it was to come back home and still be able to catch part of the second half live and genuinely still enjoy it while having just a throbbing pain in my hand. <laughs> you was, were short, you were numbed, right? Like they gave you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. no, okay. I, they, they gave me an anesthesia on my on my hand when they they did the sutures. But it, that alone, I'm sure, even without anesthesia, probably can't even compare to the pain that Arsenal fans are feeling right now. Because I I said this to Rian offline, um, but there's a report in the Telegraph this morning that basically said Arteta has until the October national break, which is I think is five games to turn around yeah. this Arsenal team, and of course, infamously, Rian and I predicted that he would probably have until at least like the holidays, like the like Boxing Day slash Christmas period. Yeah, it turns out uh, turns out doesn't work that way in <laughs> in, in the Arsenal camp. Oh yeah. Well, I know I should, I should have learned from just the years of supporting Chelsea that it's always <laughs> so much shorter than you think. Um, yeah, I know. I know. Um, it's very, it's very immediate thinking. There's a phrase for it. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Like short, short sighted kind of, uh, there's like another thing will come. Yeah. It's, it's it'll come like to that. us. It'll come but to us. I do. I do want to talk about this game because this was like, I, I will say it was my second favorite game of the entire weekend across all leagues. Um, the other one probably being like Nice Marseille, but well, that's the whole different thing. Oh, wow. um, <laughs> no, it was actually Levante Real Madrid. But this game in particular, I was thinking about tweeting, by the way, and then we'll talk about the game. I was thinking about tweeting before <laughs> it. No, no, no. I really was. I had a tweet drafted that literally said, Lukaku is going to score two goals against his Arsenal side. You heard it here first. And I didn't like I I deleted. It. I was like, ah, I don't want this to come. I don't want. I'm not trying to take like <laughs> some shambolic criticism for this. Wow. No conviction. No, no conviction. Con- no, I admit it. I admit it. But I anyway. Let's talk about the first half of this game. Let's talk about the first half, which I probably was the better half for Chelsea. Um, like penalty reversal as I had, um, everything like that. Like. Let me be very clear and say that there is no point where I was convinced that Arsenal were going to score a goal at the at, like during this game. I wasn't. No, I genuinely wasn't. Like all of their attacking threats basically stopped twenty five yards outside the penalty area or, or outside of the the goal. No, you're kind of uh, you're talking to the choir, sing to the choir, Spre- the, preaching, preaching to the choir. We're right off now. today. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so. It's, I'll start with the Garfield discussions. So um, you can't you can't blame him, dude. <laughs> but no, the, the first half was um, honestly like Arsenal started pretty well. And those the first like 10, 15 minutes. Um, I I thought just like energy wise, honestly, like they the fans being there, I think obviously played a huge part in it. Like they were really raucous for those first ten ish minutes, and then basically once. Chelsea kind of rode the bit of wave of just like pr- high pressing and kind of um, just more physical play from Arsenal in the first like 10 ish minutes. Once they overcame that, it was very easy for Chelsea to move the ball <laughs> like forward, sideways, in literally every direction. It was um, very easy. They kept finding like pockets of space, specifically Ramu Lukaku. Um, basically just creating um, Arsenal's offsides line on his own by purely backing his ass into <laughs> Pablo Mari and just moving him back like five yards away from the rest of the defenders. Every so, time, yeah. Um, they, like the first goal is obviously that is like, a, I think it was Michael Cox that tweeted this. He was like, that's a classic system goal. And it was like, yeah, that was all perfectly in tune and <laughs> the type of goal that we saw very very rarely from Chelsea last season um and like well to be fair it's not like you had a striker a pure center forward to to do that so uh, fair <laughs> yes yeah and, and it's like even times when that ball might have been played in that area last season there was almost definitely not someone in 
that center spot, um, whether it was any of the midfielders or or whoever was playing striker or forward that day. But yeah, like every part of that first half from uh, Chelsea as a team standpoint was honestly what you might expect from a team that is expecting to challenge for the title versus a team that is pretty mid table. Just, I mean, just based off of how the last two years have gone, obviously. And yeah, that first half played out as you might expect, like a second place team to play against an eighth place team. So all that being said, I think, you could easily, you could tongue in cheek say that first half was maybe already like the case for Lukaku being the signing of the summer for in terms of a guy who's slotted straight into a team in almost less than four days, four or five days of training with them. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, again, we're also banking on the fact that this is current knowledge. So Harry Kane is still a Spurs player. So Yes, very valid. Also, I will I'll throw my hat in the ring for saying if Kunde goes to to Chelsea, that that could be certainly up there um, in that ranking. But yeah, I uh, like I wholeheartedly agree that Lukaku is already the best signing of the summer. Like by far, I I knew that before he played a game. But I think what's really interesting about the narrative around this is how much people, I guess, didn't realize he's improved since he went to Inter. Like over the last two seasons, he has gotten so much better technically. And that is solely due to his role at, at Inter and having basically the dual striker system. And I think that what that's allowed him to do is really work on his combination play with surrounding wingers and surrounding strikers. Whereas I think at United, he was very much isolated, like a lot of the time. And part of it's down to the fact that he didn't have proper wingers around him like he didn't have that at all at united but at inter he he definitely had a supporting cast and now you're seeing at chelsea he hasn't i would argue an even better supporting cast around him and I, I, he slots in so so perfectly because chelsea have basically been like starving for a, a pure center forward out now striker that makes very very vertical runs like very vertical runs, just physical. I, I, I don't know how else to put it other than the fact that he is storming the box every chance that he gets. I mean, the fact that his header didn't go in and what was it? The 70 something minute was a miracle. So like all of those chances are coming in a certain area, right? We saw that in this game. They came from a very specific area. Yeah. That was an unbelievable save from Leno, honestly, yeah. <laughs> like big props to him. Um, but yeah, just just to kind of lay out how dominant uh, Lukaku was during this game, we know he had his goal. But he also had eight shots. He racked up like one and a half xG. He led in uh, touches in the penalty area for Chelsea at fourteen touches in the in the attacking penalty area. Arsenal had it as a team had eighteen. And oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, and and I think the most like maybe damning part of I think where things went wrong for Arsenal like tactically, like Lukaku received the most progressive passes of any player on the pitch. Like the amount of times that Chelsea were able to just freely play it into him, like between the lines, splitting defenders, like the cover for Arsenal, I think, in terms of covering Lukaku and in terms of putting enough pressure on Chelsea on the ball was just kind of not there. 100%. And I think you saw Jorginho and more specifically Kovacic, a a player that I honestly didn't really know what his role was going to be coming into the season, but a player in Kovacic who played brilliantly I thought especially in that first half in finding that space out wide I mean you saw in the first goal but generally speaking finding finding space out wide really really well but that was in large part to the fact that he didn't really have any 
pressure. Like he, any top class, like Premier League player can realistically do that. It's just about what you're up against in terms of the opposition. And there was not like, there is very rarely a time where you saw anyone even man marking Kovacic or Jorginho. And if they were, they were like three steps behind them. And it was very lackadaisical. So, um, like, I'm not surprised Lukaku had that many progressive passes in that game because there was open lanes everywhere. Like, it wasn't hard for Chelsea to find them. Yeah, and just to harp on that, like, lack of press point. So Arsenal attempted 200 presses on Chelsea and were only successful on 30 of them. That's 15% successful pressures where you know Chelsea hit like 36% on that obviously less a few less presses than Arsenal needed to do during the game but yeah there was just too many moments where it was really easy for Chelsea to play it in between the lines and like you said on the goal first goal itself into that wide area that wide space that I mean, Reese James just basically had a walk in the park for the entire day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was funny when his, like when he scored his goal, I don't know. I'm, I'm definitely reading into things at this point, but basically no one really came over to celebrate with him for like a couple seconds. And I was like, is it because they hate him or they're like, uh, we're going to score a couple more. Like, what's the deal here? And I honestly think it's more of the latter. <laughs> I, I they it did seem like subdued like it did seem like a subdued reaction yeah I'm just like yeah yes that makes sense and <laughs> uh, um but yeah he had a he had a great day like and granted I think like you said with the Kovacic pass he was given the time and space to do whatever he wanted so it's not much of a surprise that he had the goal and assist but he also led the entire game in shot creating actions and progressive carries expected assists and no one in the entire game had more touches in the attacking third than Reese James not a forward not one of Arsenal's defenders even potentially oh my god (laughs) um no no one no so uh 42 attacking third touches from Reese James in that game so and 10 touches in in the penalty area from the right wing back absurd uh, and I say that not honestly to credit Chelsea, just more so to discredit Arsenal, unfortunately. Like, that just that just can't happen, especially for Tierney, who you kind of, at least if you're an Arsenal fan, expect at least a level of defensive solidity for someone you've put a lot of faith in over the last few seasons. And I think that largely is a microcosm of what Arsenal are going through in combination of bad transfers or lack thereof transfer policy slash strategy um, mismanagement. And I think at the end of the day, a, the fans are the ones who are hurt the most by that by far. But secondly, I think is Arteta. And I I've, honestly, I feel for a manager who probably does not deserve this for a club. He really loves. I just think that he entered at the, probably the worst possible time to the worst possible situation for a brand new, you know, first time manager outside of his, his assistant roles. It's just unfortunate because I, I don't see him surviving the season. It's not like Arsenal are going to get a lot better. They're probably going to get leveled by city next weekend. So what do you have to look forward to? And, Oh, I'm, I'm confident that they will get leveled by Brighton too. Like I'm very much looking forward to that more than the city match, honestly. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> you had to finish it off with Brighton, too. Oh, of, course. of course, of course. I mean, they've objectively been a great side so far. <laughs> um, wow. Now, I mean, all right. That, that, was, that was a pretty depressing uh, summary there. <laughs> so I, I'll try to actually, I'll try to, to at least, I don't know, fi- find some l- levels of uh, optimism for, for Arsenal and, and um very much so, at least for Jay. Uh, Arsenal were without Gabrielle, who was out with a knee injury, without um, also was Ben White, who had COVID, and Thomas Partey, who is an ankle injury. 
Now, I'm not going to say that those three guys come in and they move the needle so much that Arsenal win that game or maybe even draw it, but they wouldn't have been dominated as easily, potentially. Like, I think it would have at least been more difficult for Chelsea to play through them as they did. Um, I, I think you throw in those three guys plus the Odegaard signing and this team's got to bump, get some sort of bump from, from that. Cause that's, that is just a more talented team, right? It is. And, and this is one of the questions I was going to ask you is if those players really make a difference, which I, I agree. Yeah. And I, I think like ultimately though, that, that that team still feels like, you know, at, at best the sixth, I'd say um, at the very best. It, those, those guys come in and things have to turn around i think from what you were speaking on Elias, their second most cul- culpable person here is with arteta's um uh, attack like and and i think what uh really has surprised me about these first two games from arsenal standpoint is that I thought even at the times last season where there was a lot of criticism on how well they attacked and you know how fluid are they um a lot of talk about like how rigid they were at times like in in the attack but I always felt like they were very well organized defensively and that is what concerns me the most about these first two games I like I realize that they're without those players right but just in terms of a shape point of view and the like spaces between their midfield and their defensive lines that was an issue not only in the Chelsea game but against Brentford as well mm-hmm. that is what concerns me from a yeah. coaching point of view no that's fair I, the only thing and this isn't more, me pushing back this is more just something to note think of the players that they've lost that actually helped with that right Ganduzi and Torreira they were huge huge at combining or I should say compacting the space between the midfield and the defensive line Arsenal always have their clowny individual mistakes that that's like a culture in of the club but when it comes down to like that shape that you talked about I think that's one of their their strengths or at least used to be one of their strengths but I think part of why you're starting to see that deteriorate is because they've lost the players that were so good at doing that so I actually that's one thing I'll probably look out for the most in the coming coming weeks all right. Well, with that, um, I think the big one from this is like Chelsea now look ahead to Liverpool next Sunday, which, yeah. man, that should be really great. Like, all things considered, that should be a really fun game. Um, I guess crossing our fingers that the teams don't play so terrified of like having a loss this early against one of the other title contenders that yeah. this game's boring let's let's hope that doesn't happen but um on paper it looks like it should be awesome i'm i just like thought about it again today seeing van dyke versus lukaku was actually going to probably be like popcorn oh, wow. material i didn't even think about that yeah that's gonna be oh my god it's gonna be amazing to watch <laughs> well that's that will definitely be the game of the week for next week but without doubt with that, Alice, do you want to take a break real quick and then we can come back with our questions from the weekend? Let's. Let's take a quick break. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. We have our questions lined up. We prepared them ahead of time, as always. This is kind of our new format that we're running with. Rian came up with two. I came up with one. We'll tell you who came up with who so you can accordingly judge. But, Rian, what's your first question? I think from this weekend, and I think specifically in um, the Manchester United and Southampton game, there was a bit of a shout in Southampton's goal, I believe it was, um, where... Bruno has the ball. Bruno Fernandes has the ball on, I think it's like the left side. And one of Southampton's 
center backs stepped up to challenge the ball from him. Kind of doesn't go through the back of him, but does one of those kind of wrap your leg around the attacker's leg to just try to nip the ball from him. And just, to, I think just about gets part of the ball while at the same time <laughs> kind of doing it in a way that would usually be called a foul. Um, he ends up nicking it off of him and Southampton go on to score. And then that's their equalizer against United. Or sorry, that's the first goal in the game. Um, it gives them the lead. There's a lot of talk about that foul not being called. Um, we know there was a big shout in the Chelsea Arsenal game with Bukayo Saka and Reese James, which I would say very similar to the Bruno Fernandes thing. It looked at and more likely than not is my guess here is that it said that it's not enough to overturn it. The clear and obvious thing. And they're not called. And there's discussion after the game about, are we being a bit lenient in these first couple of games of the season? Because that's been one of the big, I think, positives of like from a gameplay point of view um, in the Premier League the first two weeks is how kind of fluid the games have been. And, and a lot of people are applauding the referees for that. Of course, it, it is looking a bit more like how the games were refereed in the Euros, especially. So... A lot of fans, I think, are big proponents of it. But we had a few managers come out this weekend. Um, Jurgen Klopp, of course, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to, to really kind of debate against the call that went against his team, as you'd expect any manager to do. Um, but Jurgen Klopp even came out after a win, talking about Burnley's tackling. Um, and then Brendan Rodgers today, before their match against Leicester's match against uh, West Ham came out and also came in, was in favor of Jurgen Klopp's criticism. So Elias, I'm asking you, is this, is this something that we really are affected by right now? Like in terms of how lenient the referees are being, it, are we kind of not thinking about the players in that sense? You asked a very fair question, and I'm going to give you my brutally honest take on this. There is no right answer. There. I said it. There's simply no right answer to your question because there will always be 50% of people that think they're like the referees are too lenient, and there will always be 50% of people that think referees are too strict. It will, it like, it, I've, I've convinced myself over the last three years of VAR debate that there is quite literally no good answer to the subjectivity of refereeing calls with, with that being said, with that being said, it's still a fair question to ask over the last two weeks, right. Of of the season, as it's been, have referees started to be more lenient than they have in the past, which obviously the answer I think is yes. Now, my point of view is I don't think this negatively impacts the game because the idea of a clear and obvious foul at least grounds everyone to a standard of, okay, you could clearly see that a player took out another player, did not get the ball or did get the ball. And it's not a foul versus the opposite side, right? Which is, okay, a player barely took out another player, got the ball and it's called a foul, which could have led to a goal, but we'll never know because it was called a foul. That's where I think fans are definitely very happy with that, myself included. But if we kind of reverse to what people think, like the quote unquote last year's style of refereeing is, you're going to see a whole host of new people, managers included, that are very upset with it. So this quote unquote too lenient style that referees have been adopting in the last few weeks I don't think is a problem because at least you have VAR to go back and check your work to say, okay, you know what? Bruno was fouled in this case. But if you go back and see that, no, I, I think that that was fair, even in slow motion, then at least, you know, the end result. So that's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm think I'm more on the leaning side as well. I, I think there's, 
there's always a chance of someone gonna get, gonna get injured off of a foul. So, you know, I I think your point on VAR is totally correct too, because because now, you know, as we've seen in a couple instances, and including in today's game against Leicester, if once we go back and look at it in slow motion and see how painful the actual foul was, it seems like more often than not, we're turning those into reds. And I don't have a huge problem with that. Right. I, I, right. I think we saw it happen in the Hungman Sun case with where um, Andre Silva ends up breaking his ankle. Like the referee saw it. It was that's where the red came from. Um, and I think for the most part, like as much as you can argue, should we be basing things off of the injury? I think severity of injury and and let's say um, I don't know, like like any red card is judged a dangerous area that could seriously hurt someone. Yeah. Um, I think then we have the tools to actually go back and re-referee this, but outside of that, if it's more or less a 50, 50, then let's kind of play on. And that's, and that's where they've been, I think very good so far this season, but as soon as someone gets injured, this is going to be the debate again. So um, I, I, I honestly just, don't even think that it'll stay this lenient for the entirety of the season. I think it's very possible. There's like a, like a, some sort of correction probably after the international break. If ah, enough, if enough managers moan. Yeah. Yeah, of course. No, of course the, the, there will always be pressure like this from the FA from managers to change things. So I don't expect to say the same, but it's a fair question. Right. And I think you all kind of know where we stand on this now, <laughs> but more so to your second question, Rian, also having to do with United. I'm very, I'm very curious to hear your, your answer to it, but I'll let you ask it first. So I, staying with that United game, of course, I feel like these first two weeks, we've seen one player stand out probably more than any other. I think we can say a couple teams have stood out. I, I, think people could say that Chelsea and like Liverpool have stood out Brighton one of them for sure but individual players through the first two weeks off of his four assist game last week Paul Pogba everyone was talking about him of course and he kind of continued another really strong performance against Southampton in both of those games he's played in a very new more advanced position I think for Manchester United at least even seeing this happen two times in a row for United is something that I think is new for him in this position so Elias I ask you has Manchester United in putting Pogba in this more attacking mid left attacking mid area and role do you think they have now figured out his best position where he can most affect the game for most affect the games for Manchester United please I think they have and that's not something I actually expected to say like I I spent the majority of last season explaining how Ole Gunnar Solskjaer could not probably get the most out of this United team Pogba being kind of the centerpiece of that and I think I'm basically being shown up in the first two weeks that that is certainly not going to be the case I will say though that this United team you're let, let me put it this way. You're seeing some of the best of Paul Pogba at Manchester United in the last two seasons, but it's come at a cost. And it's the cost of basically removing him from his position last season as like a hybrid six, essentially. Like, I, I don't know how exactly you would call it, but that's probably the best definition of it. And in removing him from that position and moving him into a more vertical spot, more I guess of a kind of box-to-box midfielder or your traditional one United have been exposed now in that position like that has been basically their weak point for the last two to three years I would say Pogba think I guess they thought Pogba would be the solution for that obviously not his natural position but 
they do need a new number six. Like they, I don't, I'm trying to think of who could even potentially do that role at United now. And it's not Fred, it's not McTominay. It's not, it, it none of them, none of them are a true number yeah, six. Yeah, that player doesn't exist on their it, team exactly, right now. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And you can't just slot in a player and expect them to, to distribute the way that a six should. So getting the best out of Pog Pogba has, has its cons too. It's not like, yeah, it, it, yeah, that's what I would yeah, make that, people aware of. No, you're totally right. That, that leaves, you know, that their left side more exposed from a defensive point of view. Sure. And it's like, the push and pull, I guess, right, with changing his position there is that it's going to look more and more like you need someone who can sit deep and retain possession while also having, like, some good defensive um, positioning. So I think we do have to hand it to Ole for finally figuring this out. Like, it, it has taken him a couple years, but to be fair to him, no other Manchester United coach has really um, figured this out either. So, yeah, hats off to him and hats off to, of course, Paul Pogba, who now with five assists is the quickest in Premier League history to get to that to get to that mark. So he's now like leading the team in key passes and passes into the final third and attacking uh, penalty box touches. And then the kind of switch in not just the areas that he's getting the ball or sorry, taking the ball, I should say, but also even his dribbles that have gone up here, he's averaging like six in the first two weeks, but his career average is like three. So (laughs) it's, it's like already a huge difference in, in that sense. And he's even like pressing in the final third, a lot more now too than at any other point is in his United career. So it's fun to see him kind of play more attacking too, because then he gets to show off his dribbling, yeah. which you just kind of forget about a bit until like when he's in like deeper in the midfield, it's a lot more just like his legs are super long and no one can get it <laughs> off of him. Yeah. And that's still true. The higher up he is, but he has to move his feet quicker because there's less space and he's still like very good at doing that too. Like even with, a couple more defenders around him in the penalty box, as we saw for uh, Mason Greenwood's goal. So, Elias, from the like player's standpoint, we think that United has answered a very, very difficult question, and they've done it well. So, Elias, you like to say you are last the last question we have here, and it's also United related. Yes, we're um, for some reason really focusing on United. I don't know how I feel about that, but we're focusing very much on United during our questions. Um, Well, actually, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Mine is related to United, but I also want to potentially go over a separate one. My, I guess, how would you call it? Third or fourth question? I'm not really sure. Whatever. It's all all about the same team, pretty much. Yeah, I'm I'm just trying to understand, really, what is this United team missing that could see them fall out of top four and we kind of went over my answer and it is that number six position i'm not sure why gary neville today suggested that united need a striker of of all (laughs) positions like i don't i don't know why that's really a conversation in their heads if it is they they need their brains checked but someone in that united boardroom needs to realize that number six is the last thing they're missing from genuinely becoming a team that could challenge from the title i i i didn't think i would be able to say that a couple of years ago but somehow the talent on the field has incrementally increased like very well i have to i have to hand it to like on a social like he is he's like he's like a basically a long-term stock that you hold like four years ago down in the dumps very much up and down but as stocks go up and down, the linear curve is still very post, much positive. No, post Mourinho was very much like, yeah, rock bottom. Yeah. In exactly. terms of United stock. That's no doubt. No doubt there. So, yeah, it's 
I, I agree with you. I think I think it's that is kind of the missing piece now is like someone who can play holding mid. Um, yeah. And and also not be like a defensive liability, which unfortunately we can't quite say about any of the midfielders um, that they have <laughs> right now. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. Um, Lovely. Who knew that would happen? Well, Rian, last question that I had just briefly. Having really understood the, I guess, the Leeds and Everton game this past weekend, of course, drawing 2-2, Leeds dominated this game, right? There was no question about that. I think they had something like 70% possession, more shots, more shots on goal. Like, there was no category where Everton were really in the in the game, right? At least as... I'd say outside go. of... I, I'd say that, that even with Leeds' possession, there was... I think the game still ended up with combined like 40 shots. I think they might have both had close to 40 shots or 20 shots each. Um, I, I agree with you. Leeds will feel slightly disappointed that they, that they didn't yeah. win that game. Um, but that was a very fun game. Like, that was, it was. No, it was very entertaining game. And I think especially for the neutral, it was just very, very, like, very – not wild, but expressive almost in, in the way that both these teams play. One of the more interesting things that I've been trying to keep an eye on with Everton is how does the departure of Ancelotti affect them now, right? Rafa Benitez, of course, ex-Liverpool manager Rafa Benitez, coming in at a timely moment and not getting the most out of Everton so far, right? It's only, it's only two games I would say that he probably he probably could have still won this game, albeit they were, like I said, not really in the game for, for a majority of it. And Southampton is the current Southampton, which is barely a team at this point. <laughs> but my question is, through the, like what I just said about even some of the cons, right, only two games in, have you seen signs that they can be a top six team, like potentially could be a top six team? I, uh, I, I'm a little more bullish on them than you. I think, I do think that probably at best sixth, uh, I, I think mm. so. You're, you're not totally off on the criticism for sure, <laughs> uh, but I, I actually have been pleasantly surprised with, with what I've seen from them the first couple of weeks, um, especially without James Rodriguez. And wait, did you, before you even say anything else, did you see what he said on Twitch like oh, a couple of days no, ago? I did not. So uh, I honestly do need to verify whether he did say this, but apparently he was like <clears throat> the other day, um, he's like, oh, on Twitch, oh, who do Everton play this weekend? Like, I haven't even checked the schedule. Like, I'm not traveling. I don't, I don't know who they're playing. <laughs> like, let me know. So I'll leave it at that. Continue. <laughs> and and I, that is actually part of the the funny thing about these first couple of weeks, where I've been like, they actually look pretty good without him, and like, I'm not sure that him coming in will make this better. Like. I think he might kind of screw up the rhythm of this because they're really not dependent on any one attacker right now. Um, and they're like playing a lot faster than they did with Hamas Rodriguez. And I think it fits them. I think it's been fitting them. And it's it's a really good way for guys like Richarlison, um, Damari Gray, who's just kind of, who like, Honestly, he's kind of coming back from like the dead uh, almost. <laughs> um, and he's been like very good in the first couple games for them, but they're playing a lot quicker with uh, with him and Richarlison and, and Calvert-Lewin. And I think a counterattacking game actually really fits Calvert-Lewin like, in terms of his style. So It does. No, for sure it does. I I think, again, at best sixth. So I, yeah. I'm a bit more bullish on them than you, in, at least in the first couple of weeks here. Uh, I think there's like a good platform for this team to be pretty competitive. Yeah, I think. And um, and I and I honestly feel like at the moment they have a chance to to be a very tough beat for like any of the top 
five teams. So, yeah, I think that's I think that's a good point to be at losing Ancelotti, who I think just at this point of his career is not going to move the like trajectory of a team that's not extremely talented, like as a whole, like a squad that's not like extremely talented right now. Yeah. And we're already seeing, you know, how there's just going to be slight issues with Real Madrid, um, Ancelotti. So it's really good coaching, I think, so far from Benitez to just kind of keep it simple and, um, and, Kind of doing right now what seems like the strengths of a lot of a lot of his players. So still just two games in, but you know, I, I think for the front three, the way they're playing right now is, I think that suits them more than a lot of what they did last season. Yeah, the the one thing that I just wanted to harp on was the fact that this team very much feels faster. It feels like they're built for counterattacking. Those two things I think will really really help. James Calvert Lewin. Not so much kind of the rest of their midfield, but those two players in particular really, really well. I think that style suits them really, really well. And so I'm I'm just curious to see what Benitez can come up with for the next couple of weeks. Because for them, I think it will be about consistency more than anything. Because we saw that last year or last season, how they went in and out of form a lot. And so to be top six, you can't really do that. Consistency is key. That's a common theme that we always preach. So with that being said, Rian, you want to do a quick roundup of whatever else happened around the Premier League? Yeah, we're we're coming we're coming close to time here, so let's kind of give our most impressive teams from the from the weekend here, Elias. Most think, impressive teams, yeah, or or players, whoever impressed you the most. It could be it could be any of them. Well, um, I have an answer. I, I mean, I've had an answer, but I'm curious to hear your take first. My if you most say Jack impressive... Grealish, it's a wrong answer. No, no, no. My, <laughs> no, I'm going with the team for this one. Okay. Um, we mentioned them earlier. They are the darlings of expected goals. <laughs> um, but this year, so far, first two games, they've been very efficient and actually doing well in keeping clean sheets while also finishing at an above average level. And that's why Brighton is my most impressive team from the weekend because they, the way that they actually really handled Watford really well, who granted, I think Aston Villa did look like they had just come back from a beach like two days prior playing in <laughs> a lot of that game um, against Watford in the first weekend. But no, uh, Brighton really like controlled the game. And in the end, they, really finished on two pretty like really good finishes um so shout out to them and uh of course always shout out to Graham Potter so I just worry when you not when you but like in general when we cite Brighton as overachieving xg like that is commentator's curse at its finest I I'm cautiously optimistic when it comes I've been very much impressed with them so far but I just cautiously optimistic for a reason so yeah no that would be unfortunate (laughs) that it would that it would so my i'm gonna go with player um outside of team since you went with team i'm not gonna choose anyone from chelsea i'm just not even though i genuinely was like beyond impressed with the whole team um generally speaking i'm actually it was between two players for me it was between bergvine on spurs and Ruben Neves basically on on Wolves and I couldn't I couldn't make a decision but I think what really solidified probably Bergvine for me as the player of the week is not really his contribution when it comes to I, I would say like shots or key passes or anything like that but what I think he does really well for the Spurs team and in Nuno's system is driving the ball forward down the wing where Lucas Mora, even Gareth Bale, like could not do in the last few seasons. They just couldn't. And Hungman Son and Harry Kane very much are through through the middle type of players. And as Spurs potentially start to lose fullbacks, <laughs> like just 
potentially, that sort of wing play is going to become really, really crucial. And I think he isn't the most technically gifted. He isn't the most, you know, outrageous world-class player. But I think his contribution to the Spurs side over the last two two weeks, plus this past weekend against Wolves, and that ridiculous, like, byline, like, I, I don't even know what to call it. Like, his flick through three Wolves players was just It was, like, amazing. mesmerizing. I don't, don't, know, don't know how he did it, but, like... No. <laughs> No, I, I really don't know. So I, I've still been continuously kind of impressed with him. Ruben Neves being kind of the obvious choice um, on, on the Wolves side during this game. I mean, he had some, this is where my stats really falter in comparison to Rion, but I think he had five key passes and I believe a shot or two, maybe two shots on target. So anyway, he, I thought he was wonderful in that game as well. So and if, if Adama, had just kind of like yeah <laughs> just kind of put anything away uh he's had a tough time the first couple weeks of the season he's he's getting into really good positions like really good positions and uh a lot of that also has to do with like Nevis finding him of course but yep yeah um there's a reason why himself. Nuno wants him by the way <laughs> yeah yeah of course of course <laughs> I, I'm seeing even rumors of United looking at him I, okay i don't i don't think i don't think that's quite what (sighs) like the look i don't think that's quite the uh no it's not he's not quite that but you just bought jaden sancho he would he would he would make the team better he's just another center mid he'd just be a better passing fred basically (laughs) (laughs) he'd be a huskier passing fred yeah um but yeah well I think that's a good shout, Bergvine and um, and it's like a combination. General, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, he's like this works for him more. Like the the way that they attack now, it seems like he has a real um role in like the counterattacks, especially. And mm-hmm. he's fun. He's fun on um like in space. So yeah, I think they are going to be really interesting uh, the next few weeks because I I think that. That Wolves game, they very easily could have uh, could have lost. Even <laughs> um, um, again, going back to Adama, but I, I think it'll be interesting to see how they play against I don't know, against teams that are not going to allow that space to yeah. counter. So. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, with that, ladies and gentlemen, that is week two of the Premier League. Not too many outrageous takes so far, but we will be back in a couple of days talking a little La Liga, a roundup from what happened in Spain, what didn't happen in Spain, and of course, some of our questions and maybe some answers, depending on how we feel. <laughs> maybe some answers from there. So we'll talk to you guys in a little bit. Thanks, guys. 